Is it on? Can they hear me? Oh, my bad. A little closer to the mic? Uh-oh, I think this is the smooth part of the mic. Okay, 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 here we go. <clears throat> Greetings, my fellow doves out there. I am the Western Wonder. That is the Western Wonder. I don't think there's anybody that's going to top me anytime soon. <laughs> uh, you might know me from the Western Reviews podcast. That's right. That guy is me. After negotiating with Westerwood on getting another show in the Westernverse, it ultimately came down to this show right here. Two Grumpy Music Snobs. Now, take a seat wherever you are, get a drink, grab a snack, and just relax. Because we're in for a discussion on one of the most important music legends of the 20th century. That's as much of an introduction that I'm going to do tonight because this is just a pilot to test the waters and I'm not getting paid. Anyways, enough of my rambling, let's get on with the show. Please give a very warm welcome to these two old guys here. Anyways, please welcome your two grumpy music snobs, Horace and Charles. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Such a lovely introduction from a well-spoken young man. Yeah, it would be nice if you paid us a little better, you know what I mean? Oh, I know exactly what you mean. But this is the pilot, so let's be nice. Anyways... Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Two Grumpy Music Snobs Podcast. Today, we're going to be taking a look into the discography of Prince. That's right, Taff Cap. Mm-hmm. We'll be playing selections of his music versus style because, you know, copyright reasons. But the Western Wonder sure didn't mention that part. Well, of course he didn't because he's only worried about that during paycheck. But, uh, didn't you just complain about not getting paid enough moments ago, Charles? <sighs> you got a point there, Southern Pee Wee. What? Anyways, let's lay down the facts about his early life, shall we? We shall. Prince Rogers Nelson was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota on June 7, 1958 to parents Maddie, his mother, and John, his father. His sister Taika would be born less than two years later. The artist was given his father's stage name, Prince Rogers, when he was part of a jazz band with his mother. The band was called the Prince Rogers Trio. I can only imagine the top-notch performances at the time. Yeah, me too. But uh, I recall you telling me that you preferred opera and classical music, Horace. Well, I do like a little bit of everything. Why do you think I was picked to co-host a show with you? Yeah, okay, good point. Anyways, despite certain hardships in Prince's life and childhood from recurring seizures to his parents splitting up by age 10, the man was musically inclined from a young age. That's right, Charles. He wrote a tune at age 7 on his father's piano. He trained in a ballet art school, and thanks to his stepfather, he had the opportunity to see the godfather of soul himself, James Brown, on stage. Oh man, I have a good memory of seeing James Brown myself on stage when I was a little boy. Is your name Prince all of a sudden? <sighs> it's not like you wouldn't have told your own story at some point, fool. Who are you calling a fool, fool? I'm calling you a fool, you foolish fool. Alright, 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 I get it. Now back to the artist. Yeah, sorry about that, folks. We are grumpy music snobs after all. Anyways. <clears throat> Prince would eventually join a band named 94 East in the 70s alongside childhood friend Andre Simone, who would be a part of his solo band not too long afterwards. Way to spoil the history, Charles. Don't start with me, Horace. Anyways, he wrote the song Just Another Sucker with Pepe Willis, founder of the group. Can we get a little bit of that song, Versus Style?
That's real groovy. I'm surprised you don't relate to the song title more, Charles. What do you mean? Don't start with me, Horace. <laughs> Not too long after recording with the group, Prince was signed a recording contract at Warner Brothers Records. And trust me, this won't be the last time you hear from them in his timeline. And he moved from his home base in Minneapolis to LA to record his debut solo record titled For You. Oh, that's very thoughtful. Dedicating the record for us. Don't think too deep into it, Horace. Did you see your name in those liner notes? Well, I. Exactly. Anyways. The album was released in the spring of 1978 and yielded two singles titled Soft and Wet and Just As Long As We're Together. While both singles didn't do much on the Hot 100, while both singles didn't really do much on the Billboard Hot 100, Soft and Wet did give the artist his first top 20 hit in the R&B charts. Can we get a little taste of that song, DJ Cool? This deep cut from this album. What's it called? Crazy You. Let's hear it. Oh man, is that all? I was just about to get my groove on. Yeah, buddy. Rules don't play around here. I guess that's what happens when you have to spit rapid fire facts under a short period of time. Anyways, Prince will release four albums in a consecutive year, starting off with a self-titled album released in fall 1979. The album yielded two hits, I Wanna Be Your Lover, which gave the artist his first number one R&B single as well as his first top 20 hit in the Hot 100, and Why You Wanna Treat Me So Bad. Prince also appeared on the program American Bandstand at this period and performed his first show with his main pre-revolution band in early 1980, with unimpressed Warner execs in attendance. I mean, I get that Prince and his band needed to fully find their sound, but come on now. But Charles, it was for the better. <laughs> if you say so. Anyways, his fourth album, Dirty Mind, was released in fall 1980, featuring more edgier tracks. I don't know, Charles. He could be singing about slapping some fool on his forehead. <laughs> Stop it, Horace. You're making it worse. The album and single Uptown would be both. Uh, the album and single Uptown would both be top ten R&B hits on the charts. The artist also appeared on another television program titled Saturday Night Live for a performance of the song Party Up from the album in spring 1981. Why did it let him only perform one song? Another musical guest was billed on that same episode, Todd Rundgren, I believe. Well, another album followed in the fall of '81. Controversy is the name. Oh, so on this album, he's like discussing controversial topics. In a way, yes. One track, titled Ronnie Talk to Russia, is centered around the time. In a way, yes. One track, Ronnie Talk to Russia, is centered around at the time President Ronald Reagan. And another track, titled Annie Christian, addresses the widespread gun violence that still haunts this nation to this day. Well, I knew he was the master of deep messages in his songs, but whoa. I didn't know all of this. That's because you've been stuck listening to that same Journey record all those years. No, sir, don't do Journey like that. That is an amazing group. That's one of the best rock right, groups of right. our time. Well, the singles from this album were successes as both the title track and another single, Let's Work, were number one dance hits on Billboard and also were top 10 R&B hits. The title track also found some top 40 charting success in Australia and Europe. So, with Prince starting to become an international star on the rise, do you think he could top these four back-to-back -back albums? Yes, he will. His following two albums would cement the name Prince in everyone's minds for decades to come. 
these two records feature some of his most listened to tracks in his discography as well. His fifth album, 1999, released in autumn 1982, featured not just one, not just two, but three top 20 hits on both the Billboard Hot 100 and R&B charts. The title track, A Little Red Corvette, also received major airtime on his new music network called MTV. Yeah, it probably didn't go anywhere after the fact. Chris was one of the first black artists to receive major airplay on network alongside fellow pop, R&B, contemporary, uh, Michael Jackson, is it? Never heard of him. What happened to him? Don't know, but I heard he sold hundreds of millions of records and performed hundreds of sold-out concerts worldwide. But then again, that may be somebody else. Yeah, probably, but according to our script here... You weren't supposed to mention that. Oh, well, too late. Anyways, we'll be mentioning this Jackson fellow again shortly. We sure will. It shows that his popularity kicked off as the third single, Delirious, was a major hit without a music video. Disregarded the fact that rising comedian of the time, Eddie Murphy, released his stand-up special sharing the same name the same week the single was released. And another single, Automatic, did have a music video but was deemed too explicit by MTV, which is why it only got a release in Australia. Another group with a regal name, The Queens, was it? Had an issue with explicit music videos not being aired on MTV. I think their name was The Queen or something like that. But we'll figure out when we delve deeper into the show this summer. Anyways, a noticeable change in Prince's record format was that 1999 was labeled as a double album and played for over an hour. Certain highlights ranged from ballads such as Free or International Lover, the latter giving the musician his first Grammy Award nomination in 1984, to the feel-good funky rhythms of DMSR or Lady Cab Driver. Why didn't you warn me that these tracks were as long as Stevie Wonders? I didn't have to tell you nothing. Alright man, keep digging at me or they'll replace you. Respectfully and politely. These producers ain't gonna do nothing to me. Anyways, the artists who formed a band that would have become the world-renowned revolution band in this era, consisting of Wendy and Lisa, Bobby Z, Dr. Fink, and Brown Mark. Drummer Dez would depart the group following the 1999 era. During this period, he also created new side bands that would tour alongside him in the Purple Era. The most fruitful ones to come out of this period were The Time, led by Morris Day, and Vanity Six, led by Denise Matthews, a.k.a. Vanity. Remember these names. Isn't it about time we mentioned that Jackson fellow again? In this timeline, yep. In the summer of 83, Prince was called up by the godfather of soul, James Brown, to perform with his band on stage in L.A. However, this Michael Jackson fellow came up amid his trademark moonwalk dance and sang a bit, and was said that he was the one who got James Brown to have Prince to come up. Yeah, now while the pair's supposed rivalry has been a field day for the media ever since their breakthroughs, you could tell they had their shared musical respects for each other. It's an interesting performance to say the least. YouTube is your friend if you've never seen the clip. Well, it's about time we mention the next album, and everyone should know this one. Purple Rain, the soundtrack album to the similarly titled motion picture, aka Prince's acting debut, was released in the summer of 1984 to a frenzied response. While the movie loosely based on Prince's personal life was well received for the music rather than the acting, as a matter of fact, the Razzie Award nomination went to one of the stars and trust and believe it wasn't for the kid. It still made a big profit at the box office, making over $68 million in the process. The soundtrack topped the Billboard 200 charts for 24 weeks. That's right folks, 24, or 5 months in total. Plus, it topped the charts in several other countries, from Australia to the Netherlands. It featured two number one singles, When Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy. The third single, the ballad gospel heavy title track, was blocked off the number one spot by a tune from Wham. We couldn't believe that it was originally to be a country style tune with Stevie Nicks, 
What? Dolly Parton wasn't available for this? You know I love that good 9 to 5 song. Working 9 to 5. No idea. No idea. The album will go on to be certified 13 times platinum in the U.S. and receive numerous accolades and nods from Grammys to American Music Awards, even an Oscar. A lot of the music featured in the soundtrack, from robust rock and roll to psychedelic funk and pop to silky smooth ballads, will be a trademark in Prince's sound for many albums to come. With that being said, the album definitely wasn't safe of getting any controversy. That's right, Charles. Why the music video for When Doves Cry stifled mixed reactions from MTV? What, you guys never slowly crept out of a bathtub in a new while Doves peacefully flew around your bedroom? The tune darling Nikki, which had lyrics referring to women letting her freak flag fly, led to the parental advisory sticker being created after advocate Gore caught her daughter listening to the title. Music history in the making. Yes, indeed. The track also implemented the trend of backmasking, coherent words or lyrics being played in reverse. When played correctly, the words that can be heard are, Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing fine, how about yourself? Follow that up with fine, because I know the Lord is coming soon now. Isn't that lovely? No, it's not, because you keep acting like everything was written to be relatable to you. The disrespect, Charles, the disrespect. I mean, I might not be able to hit a who, 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 like you did during Purple Rain, but come on now. Anyways, the energetic track Baby I'm a Star also features some backmasking in the beginning and end as well. Some interesting stuff, I must say. With all of this success, you'd think the artist could take a break after all of this, but no. Prince would consistently release studio albums until taking another pause in 1993. The albums released up until then include Sound of the Times, Love Sexy, Around the World in a Day, Diamonds and Pearls, the album with the logo dubbed The Love Symbol, and soundtracks to the films Under the Cherry Moon, aka Parade, Batman, and Graffiti Bridge. Out of the eight albums mentioned, two peaked at number one on the Billboard 200, while the rest were top ten hit albums. Lots of hit tunes everyone knows came from that purse purple period. Raspberry Beret, Kiss, Sign of the Times, You Got the Look, Alphabet Street, Bat Dance, Party Man, Thieves in the Temple, Cream, Get Off, My Name is Prince, Sexy MF, and Seven. Most of these songs were top 20 hits in the U.S. and abroad. Another shift in princeness was different in this period as the revolution would move on due to musical differences after the parade period. Lesser concerts in the U.S. happened and a new backing group was formed, the New Power Generation, who would be by Prince's side for the entire decade. While the music debate on which band played and sounded better is up to the fan base, the differences between the two groups are noticeable, and most come from the MPG. First off... The MPG had more members than the Revolution, or at least the most members that stayed within the lineup the longest. And unlike the Revolution, the MPG had their own albums without Prince's name slapped onto them, though their third album, New Power Soul, had Prince's face and unpronounceable symbol imprinted on the cover, and also featured more lead vocals from the artist. We won't be delving into their music history too much, will we? No, why? Because I'm already tired of reading these notes. I got greens and candy jams cooking on the stove at home. I'm tired too. But we're about to wrap up. Shoot, I'll be darned if the Western Wonders had us talking without pay for an hour. Anyways, we couldn't complete this decade without quickly highlighting the feud between the artist and the Warner Brothers. Due to scheduling differences and issues with Warner Brothers, he quickly formed the NPG Records label after his previous label, Paisley Park, was burned off by Warner. He changed his name to an unpronounceable symbol and during this period was referred to as the artist or the artist formerly known as Prince, Taft, Cap, abbreviated, and had the word slave written on his face. To contractually comply with Warner, a new album titled Come was released in 94 and performed moderately. 
The Black Album, originally planned for release in 1987, but was scrapped and up until that point was considered a very popular bootleg, also got a limited release that same year. The follow-up proved to be a lengthy battle which led to the single being released on an independent label. That single is titled, The Most Beautiful Girl in the World, the only number one British single Prince ever had. Now, due to copyright issues, the song is unable to be played on any streaming platforms, but is available on YouTube. Two more albums with Warner, titled The Golden Experience and Chaos in Disorder, both released in 96, as well as the soundtrack for the movie Girl 6, would complete his tenure with the label. For now, anyways. Various compilation albums with new material spliced in between three new albums, Emancipation being one of the biggest releases, clocking in at three hours worth of new material. That's right, folks, three hours. Will complete the 90s era artist. But alas, he would go back to being named Prince in the early 2000s. Through the indie and occasionally internet-only releases, Prince would not be signed to a major label again until his 2004 release, Musicology, with Columbia Records distributing the album. The album proved to be a comeback for the artist on the charts and saw a return to the lengthy American tour throughout that year. Prince also received two Grammy Awards for that album. More successful albums followed with 3121 in 2006, which was the final number one studio album on the Billboard 200 in his lifetime, and Planet Earth in 2007. Other memorable gigs from this period include an acoustic-only tour, something he would repeat in his final tour of his lifetime years later, a return to SNL 25 years after his first performance, and over 15 since his last performance for a 15th anniversary special, performing his hits at the Super Bowl to heavy rainfall, and plus I heard the rain was very purple, a Vegas residency to accommodate the release of 3121, or 3121, a 21-show stand at the O2 in London at the release of Planet Earth, and performing a rousing set at Coachella. Interesting fact here, but Prince nearly made a return to the big screen in the 2000s. Oh, really? Yep. He was offered the role of a cat named Prince in the sequel to the Garfield live-action movie in 2006, but turned it down, and was replaced by Tim Curry. It would have been over 15 years since Prince started the film, Hello Graffiti Bridge. However, a new Prince song, The Song of the Heart, was featured in the animated movie Happy Feet, and Prince did receive a Golden Globe Award for the track. So, no harm foul done there. His classic kiss was also covered by one of the characters in that same film. So that's interesting to know. Perhaps it was for the best that he turned down Garfield, though. That cat ain't all that interesting to me myself. That boy ain't right. Or is it that cat ain't right? Well, as most great timelines go down, there's unfortunately an in ahead. Well, as most great timelines go down, there's unfortunately an end ahead. In the final decade of his life, Prince will release five more albums. One album, 2010, was a free attachment to various newspaper stands in Europe. Two follow-up albums, including one with his new and final backing group, Third Eye Girl, reunited the musician with Warner Brothers for the first time in nearly 20 years. Though he would revert back to a previous major label for his last two releases, titled Hit and Run, Phases 1 and 2. Not exactly a new title as he previously used that name in previous tours. His final tour would be put on the pause due to an illness, and sadly on April 21st, 2016, the artist, known as Prince, passed away due to an accidental drug overdose. He was 57. Now, despite the artist moving on to the Purple Planet, his talented and musical legacy will never be forgotten. Now that's right. Prince left the vast majority of diverse music with songs that can make you dance, laugh, cry, or sing loudly in public. So on the fifth anniversary of his passing, going on to the Purple Planet, let us all dance and enjoy the greatness that was Prince Rogers Nelson. 
Now I'll just order myself some lemonade after you just mentioned it, Horace. Thanks a lot. Well, you have control of what's in your wallet, not me. <sighs> Anyways, that's a wrap up on our pilot. Our voices may switch up by the time the show officially premieres. Well, I know Horace needs a little more work with his voice. What did you just say? Nothing. I'm Charles Higgins Jones. And I'm Horace Thompson. And we're two Grumpy music snobs. And don't you forget it. Peace of love, folks. I'm off to order some food. Hmm, how about some starfish and coffee with cream as an appetizer and raspberry sorbet for dessert? Oh, Horace. And that's the two Grumpy Music Snobs podcast, folks. Stay tuned for the premiere in June where the snobs discuss a particular top 100 ranking from a popular magazine. If you're interested in checking out more, please be sure to subscribe where you can. And these snobs will see you next time. What? 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 What?